I was 23 when I had an abortion. He said if I wanted to carry on, he'd tell my father that I'd been sleeping with everybody. I didn't know what to do. I was completely numbed and detached from myself, and I could remember every detail to this very day, actually. Something happened to me. I just felt like I had a hole in my heart. This is Expanding Horizons. Candid conversations, passionate people, important issues. Produced by the Jesuit Institute, South Africa. Angie Farrenkosen runs Rachel's Vineyard in South Africa, a retreat for women and men who have suffered the trauma of abortion. I met her for the first time at Marin Hill Monastery, where she presented Rachel's Vineyard to the Southern African bishops. I'm with her now at her home in Cape Town to speak about Rachel's Vineyard, healing after abortion, divorce, and being Catholic. I am Ricardo de Silva, and this is Expanding Horizons. Angie, welcome. Thank you, Ricardo. Angie, won't you tell us about Rachel's Vineyard? Rachel's Vineyard is a retreat that we offer, as you said, for women and men who are suffering from the effects of having an abortion. And it's a very uncomfortable thing to be talking about, but it's very real. And many women, not all women, suffer from the effects of an abortion, which could come in many different ways. Many people have depression, relationship problems, eating disorders, drug addiction. But one of the biggest things is sort of a numbness that many of us feel and which you can see in your life how it has impacted you later on. So we've had people come from all walks of life, all denominations, and they come to us for healing. And we find that the biggest thing is for them to even know that we exist. For us, that's been a big problem to get it out there. So the retreat itself runs for Friday evening, Saturday, and the Sunday. And we focus on the scripture stories so that the participants can immerse themselves in the roles that the women play in these stories and come to find their peace, come to find Jesus. So they arrive absolutely terrified and thinking what on earth they're doing there. And we have a small group, so we do always find that they bond. One of the biggest things is, one of the biggest parts of the healing is when they tell their stories. And it's actually a privilege to sit and to hear what they have to say. The healing starts then. We have many rituals and meditations that take place over this weekend. Many of them have been for counseling and have found that it hasn't helped. And this is not a counseling weekend. It is a place where they come to feel God's love and mercy, to see the way forward, to see hope. We've had people as old as 80, 80 well, in fact, 81, came on, never told anyone her whole life. We've had young people coming on, but they can't come on before they're 18, or with a, with a guardian. We have men coming on as well, who a lot of people say, why men? And very often they haven't had any choice in their partner having an abortion or sometimes come home and find that their wife's gone and had an abortion and they're voiceless. So we have had men come on, on our retreats as well. So we have people from all walks of life that have been on our retreat and they come really nervous and thinking, what am I doing here? Like, I don't need this really. 
And then you see on the Saturday morning when their stories are told, the change coming over them, the layers gradually being peeled away for them to understand that they are loved and that God's mercy is abundant, really. It's interesting you speak of God's mercy because that's precisely mm. what Pope Francis spoke Indeed, about yeah. returning on the plane mm. from Panama World Youth Day. He was asked mm. about abortion mm. and he said the difficult thing about mercy mm. is not the mercy of God mm. for the child who has been aborted. It is for the women, men are included in mm. this. Mm. What is your experience of that accompanying and consoling? Mm. Well, we accompany them on their journey, really, because it's really Jesus' story. They're stripped down and we walk that walk with them. And we then see them gradually come into the resurrection. At the end, they name their children. And that is a very moving ceremony. And that is very healing, as Pope Francis said. He was talking about um, singing a lullaby to your child in, in heaven, women that have had miscarriages, stillbirths or abortions, and that's what we do. And it becomes real, and some people, when they've had an abortion, can never, ever have a child. So they know that they are a mother, and that's really, really important for them to know. And uh, the same goes for a man. Maybe he never has another child, that he knows he is a father. So it's comforting but as a harrowing journey. I won't say that it's easy because you are stripped and you need to look at how it came that you had the abortion. Sometimes the light bulb goes on and you realize, wow, that's how it was for me and how I've suffered. Mm. So it's an interesting walk, but there is a lot of consolation. This is clearly something that's quite personal for you. I can hear it in your voice as you share with us. Tell us about your personal experience. Well, Ricardo, I was 23 when I had an abortion. I grew up in a home where I had a very distant father, and I was actually terrified of him. He was very, very strict and very unemotional. And I left home very naive, very innocent, and I went off to live in Jersey, the Channel Islands, and met a man there who was very powerful, very rich, and I actually thought that this was love, and I got pregnant by him, and he wanted absolutely nothing to do with having a child. So he basically said if I wanted to carry on with having the child, he would tell my father that I'd been sleeping with everybody, and um, I didn't know what to do. I think I was completely numbed and detached from myself when I went through having this abortion. And I could remember every detail to this very day, actually. Something happened to me. I just felt like I had a hole in my heart, basically. I came back and the relationship ended. But then my whole life actually changed. I became, I suppose, my body didn't mean anything to me after that. I made really bad decisions with men. I, I just had no regard for myself whatsoever. At that time, I wasn't particularly religious or anything. I had five miscarriages, and every time I thought that God was punishing me. And it was only really when I, I actually became a Catholic a bit later, and I met a priest who I, I went to him to say that I couldn't get close to God at all. And he said to me, have you been abused or have you had an abortion? And I was like shocked. How would he even think of asking me something like that? 
So to cut a long story short, I went to England to a Rachel's Vineyard retreat, which I'd found out about. And it totally changed my life. It was like a door had been opened into who I really was. And then I came back to South Africa and we started it here. So we've actually had eight retreats now. And I just really want other women to be able to experience what I experienced. And my whole life has changed since I went on that retreat. Can you tell me about your experience on that retreat? Well, I remember getting, going to get on the plane and thinking, I'm absolutely fine. I've got to this stage in my life. What am I doing? Why am I going? So when I eventually got there, I was also feeling really uptight and actually terrified. And I looked around at the other women and they all looked pretty scared as well. And then slowly, you know, after one scripture, after another, you, I slowly started to feel God's presence. It was very emotional. I mean, we, we were all, it is, it is emotional. I mean, you really have to go deep. You have to really go deep. And the more you do that, the more you get out of it. So every scripture, every meditation, everything runs so smoothly and so beautifully. And the rituals that take place, I mean, one, one would be naming your child, which sounds pretty hectic, but your child becomes real to you. In one meditation we do, we walk in the meadow with Jesus and the children are there and you see your child with Jesus and that for me was, was so beautiful. And I named her Lily, I remember that. It was, even now as I speak, I think, oh wow, that was such an emotional thing. So it was just really beautiful. And when we all, on the Sunday when it was all finished, we have a, a mass at the end It sounds like, oh gosh, you're all crying and it's all so sad, but it's not. It brings closure. At the end, you think, right, that's done. And forever you know your, your child is there with Jesus. And it's a joy. And you feel blessed to, to have had that experience. Thank you for sharing what must have been such a difficult time then mm. and what is clearly still something that you, you hold with a certain pain mm. uh, and regret. But you've transformed <laughs> this incredibly shameful, painful experience into a ministry now. Mm. What brought you to bring it to South Africa? I think I must have been completely mad. <laughs> Because, I mean, you, I was on such a high thinking, wow, you know, all the people you can touch are this. And I still feel like that. And I actually have begun to keep a diary because so often you forget the amazing things that happen on every single retreat. Every single retreat, there are miracles that take place. So it's changed my life. I've never been so busy in all my life. I mean, this time when I should be sitting around having tea and doing all those things that old people do, I'm running around spreading the word of Rachel's Vineyard because it is so important. You see... People that can't even engage, can't even look at you when they come on the retreat. And then you see, you just see people change. You see their faces glowing. And we look at one another because there are four of us that run the retreat with a priest. And you very often we catch one another's eyes because we've all seen it. You just see the change take place and how they start to, the scales fall away. 
And it's actually a joy, but it's flippin' terrifying as well. So you were born in England. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your life journey. Ooh, well, my mother was an Anglican, my father was an atheist. I suppose I was always a bit of a fighter. I mean, my father was an atomic engineer, and I always used to fight with him about that. So that wasn't always a good start. But yes, I grew up there, and I left home when I was actually about 21. I went to Channel Islands. And that's where I met the father of my child. Then, actually, when I was in Jersey, I met my first husband, and we emigrated to come to South Africa. After living, actually, in the Canary Islands for quite a long time, met loads of people who'd been to South Africa, and we decided to come here. Those are in the apartheid days. And I remember being hit by that when I came to Johannesburg. We had a domestic lady, and I remember forcing her to come and sit and have dinner with us, and... I just couldn't understand how horrendous apartheid was. Then we came to live in Cape Town, and we started off a restaurant here, my husband and I. And I got involved with, uh, I was started to be, I suppose, an activist in those days. And I got arrested for inciting a riot in Crossroads, actually with another friend. And inciting a riot means that we were we were trying to help various people. And the police came, and the group that I was with surrounded my car and wouldn't let the police get to me. And eventually I made a run for it, and they arrested me. Yeah, I didn't know what inciting a riot meant, but it means if you have a, a group of people, like against the police, that's evidently inciting a riot. So they didn't charge me in the end, even though I did have to stay at the police station for quite a while. Then I went to Black Sash, which is a very powerful movement here in Cape Town. I think it was everywhere. I was with them for a few years, but I was always getting into some kind of trouble or whatever. Why don't you just tell us, what is Black Sash? Yeah, Black Sash was an anti-apartheid movement here of women, basically helping people that had been arrested and with the past laws and everything like that, but they were very active against apartheid. We used to march and we were really, really busy. They were a fantastic group of people. But... Yeah, that could be a whole interview on its own. Um, and then when I got divorced, I mean, he was not for what I was doing, that's for sure. Our house was always full of people. We have never had any clothes because I'd given everything away. Uh, our phones were tapped, and he'd been asked to keep me under control a bit more. Um, anyway, so I got divorced. So then I got a job at Catholic Welfare, And it was amazing. I just was blown away by their work in the apartheid days. I'm a woman who is actually helping us now in Rachel's Vineyard. Her name is Mary Lack, amazing woman. She used to run soup kitchens and she used to drive an old combi into the town. We all of us drove into the townships, never, ever fearing anything. And I actually loved working for them. And that's where I started to think wow, yeah, I, I want to join this club. Everybody was so active and so... They were just a group of people that I really enjoyed being around. And Peter Templeton ran it in those days. 
and they kept a friend of mine, Roz, and myself under strict control. <laughs> yeah, it was an amazing time, and that's when I decided to become a Catholic. I think I had the short route to becoming Catholic because I only remember about six weeks of any kind of instruction, so I still don't really know everything. And I became a Catholic here, actually, in Haupe. And then I met my husband, who I've been married to now for 35 years, who is very supportive. And then I think my children were about nine and four, and we went back to live in England. And what a different lifestyle that was. And I remember missing all the craziness of this life, however much everything works. So, yeah, we stayed there for about seven or eight years. And that was the time when Nelson Mandela was freed and we decided to come back. During that time in England, my faith, I was moving along, I suppose, in kind of a bit of a wishy-washy way, really. Never really feeling the presence of God. And the year before we came back to South Africa, I had been told I could never have any children and we were going to adopt, but somehow that fell through. And I actually got the letter from a top professor to say, there's no eggs, I can't ever have another child. And I became pregnant with Amber. While I was pregnant with Amber, I had to stay in bed for three months and a wonderful priest used to come to me, Father Joseph. And he used to bring me this video of Medjugorje to watch. And I watched this video on Medjugorje, and it just, I thought, I want to go there and just say thank you to Mary if this all turns out all right. So as I was 44, they wanted me to have all these tests done, and I decided I'm not going to have anything. And I had her completely, beautifully normal in every single way. And I, it's a huge burden for her because I always say, you know, you are the miracle child. So, I mean, she was my first Catholic child because obviously the other boys were not born Catholic. And so we came back to South Africa and slowly my faith was growing. I really felt like I wanted to be more involved and to do more. And I always feel like I wanted to make a difference and do something. I became a minister of the Eucharist in the church and I went to Medjugorje to say thank you for having Amber. And when I was there, I said to my friend, I don't even know what I need to go and confess. She said, well, why don't you go say confess your abortion? I said, no, that's so long ago. I don't even think about it anymore. And so I did go then to my first confession of many to a priest then. And that was the start of me really thinking, oh, I wish I could, you know, maybe that was really the start of maybe Rachel's Vineyard coming along. Mm-hmm. And, and going to Medjugorje, every time I went there, I felt that I was filled up. I came back full of it. I come back here thinking, yeah, I really feel strong now in my faith. Then it would just sort of wear off again and wear off again. I always felt like I was a, a wishy-washy kind of Catholic person. So, yeah, the journey in my faith has been quite up and down, up and down. And I think now is the strongest time. Because I've just seen God actually work and if I look back over my life I can see how he's worked but it's been for me the trust has always been such a difficult thing to do trusting that God will guide me I mean I've made you know discerning has always been quite difficult for me to discern the right way to listen to not go in my own strength 
in society, particularly religious mm. societies mm. and religious people or people who you know, seem to say they profess faith and mm. are Christians, mm. we often take very judgmental attitudes yeah. on this. And the phrase is bandied that abortion is a choice, mm. that the woman makes a choice, that the man makes a choice. Mm. What do you say to that? Well, I think back to that time for myself, I was so petrified and so shocked because, you know, it is, it's a shock mm. when you become pregnant. And then you've also got to realize that your body's changing. So you, all your hormones are going all over the place. It's really hard to make a decision. So I think it is difficult to say it's a choice. Very often you're kind of saying, everyone's saying, oh, it's not the right time for you. And you're thinking, no, it isn't the right time. Or maybe, um, you know, you've got too, enough children, no, have, you know. Mm. So you can't think clearly, I think. And very often there's not the counseling that you should have, maybe the counseling available mm -hmm. to uh, encourage a woman to keep her child. But I think you are in shock initially when you get pregnant. And society, yeah, and I mean the media pushes the whole time how easy, how, uh, how you're not going to have any, uh, uh, come back from having an abortion, it's going to be fine, it's all going to be over in a few minutes, you're going to go back to work the same day, mm -hmm. they say things like this. And not for everyone, some people do get on with their lives, but there are a lot of women that suffer a huge trauma from having an abortion. And the media pushes it down, that, you know, we have choices, it's our body, it's hard. In the Catholic Church particularly, mm. and, and our faith in the Catholic Church, um, for many has taken quite a hard line on mm. abortion. Mm. The Southern African mm. bishops mm. have been open to hearing about your ministry, about your story, mm. which clearly says something about the disposition yeah. of the Southern African mm. bishops. Mm. Could you say something about that experience? And, mm. and now that you've spoken to them, how you felt about it? Well, I must say I was very nervous, very, very nervous. But I just found warmth, interest, kindness, and an understanding from them that um, was uh, very encouraging to see that the church sees that there is a need for what we do. And yeah, that there is not that judgmental whole kind of thing. Angie, abortion, divorce, these are all hot topics in the mm. church particularly, mm. Mm. and often seen with great shame, judgment. No doubt you've experienced some of that. Yeah. Um, what would you say to people who've gone through that now, having looked at your own life, 34 years on, you've been married now, you, you were yeah, saying? Yeah, 34 years. I feel that God has given me lots of opportunities to restart. And I've fallen down many, many times. But a sister said to me recently, how could you be if you didn't have God in your life? And, and my life just would not, I just couldn't actually survive probably be in a mental home or something by now because God has helped me so many times and by keeping a journal now I actually see how you know he just turns up and somehow or other I just get through everything with his help my husband has worked away a lot and it's been quite difficult bringing up three children sometimes you know on, on my own that was quite difficult but he's always been there and even though my two boys um, say that they, you know, they don't really believe, they always ask me to pray for them before they're going away somewhere. One's got a St. Christopher around his neck. And I mean, 
it's yes. Um, the journey has been long, but it's been. I've had. If I died tomorrow, I'd say I've had a fantastic life. Not that I want to, but uh, I feel I've been blessed so abundantly. What would you say to women right now who are listening to us, who may have suffered an abortion, mm. who feel that it's holding them back? I would say, don't ever think that you haven't got a second chance. Don't ever think you're not worth it because you are. And God wants to heal every one of us. And he can. You can come. There is hope for your future. And there's healing. And there's joy to be had. Whatever you've experienced, there is hope and healing within Rachel's Vineyard and within yourself. Thank you, Angie. Thank you for being so courageous in telling us your story and sharing your struggles so openly with us. For those listening to us that have suffered the trauma of abortion, whether directly or indirectly, please contact Rachel's Vineyard. Your calls and emails are strictly confidential and, where possible, will be prearranged to suit your convenience. Contact Angie on 082-852-1284 or visit the Rachel's Vineyard website, www.rachelsvineyard.co.za. Once again, thank you, Angie. Please comment and subscribe to our podcast for more candid conversations, passionate people and important issues. Expanding Horizons is produced by the Jesuit Institute South Africa with music and sound by Francis Tucson. This episode was presented by Ricardo De Silva. Visit us at www.jesuitinstitute.org.za.